Hello and welcome to the MHG podcast. As usual, look, life could be a little bit miserable and a little bit dark. So once again, we're here to give you a little bit of light and a little bit of joy because I'm Brad and I'm joined by His Holiness, Pope Stew the 15th. That's a lot of Stuarts. A lot of Stuart Popes. Yeah. I don't know what they're called. Benedict, Stuart and Frank or something. I don't know. Don't they all get like, they they all get like retrospectively named after like the Paul. apostles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the apostles and the disciples, I think. I'd follow a Pope called like Pope Steve. I know. Yeah, that's it. You know. But I mean, the recent ones would be like Nazi Friedrich Wilhelm II and stuff. Yeah. Like yeah. That, so, yeah. Yeah. Pope Dave the White Fan Man. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Although he'd have already have his own Pope mobile. Oh, yeah. Good point. And those things last. But like, yeah. like they scam through the MOT and everything. Oh, oh yeah. They're, yeah, they're built to last them. Does the Pope mobile need an MOT? I would guess not because they're the, uh, they have their own, they've made their own city state that the Pope lives in, which yeah. has its own laws. I can't remember what they call it. Which is his own country yeah, as well, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. It's the whole thing, yeah. Which I can't remember the name of. <laughs> yeah, probably doesn't need it. Imagine, imagine being the uh, Pope's MOT man. I know, yeah. Or lady, or other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ooh, it's gonna cost you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Pope go. Well, I can't go. I can't go to this MOT place, mate. You're, you're like, I, I, I've been talking out about rights and everything. They're, they're all gonna hate me, and I don't know. Um, right. Where can I get a muffler? How bad is it, mate? Look, if I give you 200 quid, right, just out here now, could you just pass it and just ignore the uh, the little bits? Yeah. Yeah, I've got some treasures sure. here that we, we looted from uh, the Moors 700 years ago. Yeah, have some of this. I've cleared it by Alardis Morissette. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the standard, isn't it? As long as it passes the Morissette test, then you're okay. Yeah, yeah. The best god. We, we all right. know that. Alanis Morissette's the best god. It's the only one. I would worship an Alanis Morissette god. Yeah, yeah. There's a certain irony to it. Yeah, they, they, no. seem, they seem sound no. enough. Um, anyway, uh, what stuff? Uh, do you know what else could be godlike? What's that? Video games with gods in it, Stu. Ah, yeah. You Peter Molyneux up in this bitch. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, I'm over-promising and under-delivering. Yeah, that's what gods are like, though, isn't it? <laughs> that's what our podcast should be called, over-promising, <laughs> under-delivering. <laughs> under-promising and yet under-delivering. That's what it should be. Uh-huh. Now, unfortunately for you people, when I, mean, I say you people, I mean the listeners, I forgot I've lost my chain of thought. Um, it's a Bradley-centric episode today because Stu is playing games that are under embargo. Um, he got a package of a bunch of shoot-em-ups that I can't remember the name of. That's poor on my part. But he is tight-lipped on those for not this episode, the next episode. The episode after that, you'll be able to hear about them. Um, mm-hmm. So, Stu's going to sit back, glass of sherry, and he's going to ask the, the age-old question. What have you been playing? I've been playing lots and lots and lots. Uh, mainly this last few days, Boulder's Gate. And we'll, we'll come on to that at the end because there's a discussion to have at the end um, with that. Um, but I've been playing quite a few other games over the past couple of weeks as well. And it's time to start covering those games. Um, oh, no, that one might be embargo, so I won't talk about that one. I've just seen the date it comes out. So I've got two to talk about, not three. Uh, because I'm organised, you see? Oh, yeah. um, First up is Neon Noodles. 
um, which is essentially an automation game. I'm, I'm really liking automation games at the, at the moment. I think they're really cool and they're really clever. They make you think logically in the same way like Sudoku and um, Sliverlink does, but with uh, production changes. Uh, production chains, rather. Um, I think I spoke about Word Factory the other day. Oh, did I? Did I? I'm sure I did. Mm, the word, the word-based maybe. one. I'm sure I did. It's brilliant, anyway. If I didn't, get it. It's brilliant, and I'll work it out, and I'll talk about it another time. Anyway, Neon Noodles is another one, a bit like your space chems and, and things like that. Um, your big farmers. Um, Automata Chef, I think it was called, was another one. Where basically you get an input and you get a bunch of tasks and then you've got to output this food to provide an order. Um, and that's essentially what you do and you create like this programming logic of take the item, do this, do that, do this, pursue this, mix it together, etc, 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 output it. Um, but it gets really complicated. It starts off really simple, such as take this to move it to here, to move it to here, to move it to here. And that's how it starts. And then you get combination-based stuff, having to pick some ingredients up to use them here, to then convert them to something else, to take them to somewhere else, to mix with something else, before then doing it all, chopping it, etc., 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 and then outputting it. Uh, and it's really, really good. It's a, like it's got the concept of, of uh, drones with it. This one, so it's not just like a a chain. It's actually you have to use drones to go and perform the actions, which is really again really cool. But it's kind of got this um, story behind it as well. It's kind of like this cyberpunky um, story behind it, where there's something nefarious going on. And you're kind of fighting back against it. I don't want to say too much because, again, people like playing these things and do like the story. I'm kind of half ignoring it because all I care about is the actual the automa automation side of it. Yeah. Um, but um, I actually didn't realise that this is part of a new genre of video games, Stuart, the Zack-like. Um, what? And that's what... So, do you know Zacktronics? No. No. Right. Do you know Space Chem? I've heard of it. Um, Magnum Opus or Opus Magnum, whichever the wrong way round is. Um, yeah. Basically, Zachtronics is a programming genius and it's turned programming into video games where basically it's that whole idea of you take things and you make things happen in automation. And basically, he is the absolute king of all these games and essentially has spawned a genre called the Zach Light. Gotcha. Um, uh, this is one of the Zach likes. Um, some of them are pretty damn bad. But this one, yeah, do you know what? This one is very, very good. Um, I like the aesthetic, like the uh, cyberpunk in neon aesthetic to it. Using food as its, um, as its concept is really good because I don't understand the sciencey things. When it's science or like um, magic or like even like the... Uh, the uh, stuff they did to make like medication and stuff like that. I don't understand. I can't. My my brain can't comprehend what the different um, elements are. Put it as words, like in Word Factory, or put it as food items and ingredients, as in Neon Noodles. It starts to make sense to me. Um, and it's you know, oh yeah, well I need to get this onion chopped, so I need to take onion and put it to a knife, so that onion gets chopped. I don't understand taking element B four nine six five to have to be discombobulated to then go into. I don't understand that. So this more common usage of other everyday items is brilliant. It's a lovely little story behind it. I feel stupid at points, but then it's one of those games where you feel stupid. 
you, you then complete a level and you like you feel like all of a sudden you've like leveled up your own brain because you've managed to do it. Uh, but yeah, it's really really good and it questions corporate greed as well, which is which is a good thing to do. Uh, nice. But yeah, really really good game, interesting concept that would I think fly under the radar of a lot of people. Yeah, it sounds pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I like I like those concepts. I mean, whenever I say, and I end up saying it every week, that, you know, that kind of game is not my kind of game. It's not, I don't wear it like a badge of honour. Yeah. You know, I recognise that I'm a, I'm a complete moron for not liking something that's a little bit more cerebral than just blowing stuff up. But um, unfortunately, that's just the way my, my free time goes. It tends to be, you know, along the lines of very simplistic things that I can enjoy without any real cognition. <laughs> but yeah. I do appreciate these games. I really do. And I, and I really do kind of like them when they get signal boosted. Yeah, no, it's, again, it's not for everyone. Um, you know, even like puzzle game fans of other types won't might not like this. Um, I think automation is a very specialist niche. In the world of video games, it's, yeah. you, you know, it doesn't, because your end result isn't, I'm surprised I like it, because the end result isn't immediately satisfying, uh, because one thing that bugs me with these sort of games, and I'm finding it with Word Factory, actually, it does it, is I finished it, and I'm quite pleased that I finished it, and then I see that there's a, people have done it better, and you get a graphs that show you where you are, and I kind of go, oh, I haven't done it the best. And then that plays on my mind. So you don't get that immediate endorphin rush and gratification that you do with many other, even puzzle games. So there, there is stuff there that it doesn't, it won't suit everybody. Um, and it, 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 it is an acquired taste. But I say for whatever reason, since playing, um, I think the one that really got me was Big Farmer actually. Um, got me back into the Zachtronic stuff. Um, I've just really taken to them. I don't know why. Again, maybe it's because I'm getting older um, and my tastes have changed away from the fast-paced stuff because I struggle with that more now because of my vision and, and things like that. But, yeah, no, this is really, really good. Plays well on Steam Deck as well, by the way, full controller support. Oh, yeah, no, that is important. That really is. Um, yeah, no, that sounds interesting. I, it's that uh, comparison is the thief of joy thing, like, applies here, mm. it sounds like. Um and unfortunately, that out? <laughs> what the game? <laughs> yeah, FIFA Joy. That sounds like a real video. It does, game. doesn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah so it's, you really throw me off there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no. It, it, and uh, the internet has kind of weaponized the comparison being the thief of joy because every single game you can look at how the entire world is playing the game better than you are. Um, yeah. Whereas, you know, when we were kids and we were playing games, you only had your friends for comparison and, you know, yeah. I'm not saying it's necessarily and a bad thing, but so it's So this is where I use my cheat code. I didn't have any friends. Oh, well, there you go. You, <laughs> so I was you the best. You were the best. Still are. <laughs> Definitely. Nice. Yeah. That's how I cheated life. I didn't have to compare myself to all my friends. Yeah. Nice. I'm, it's all coming up millhouse uh, but yeah but no really really good um, I think it's only cheap as well yeah it's like 12 quid 15 quid which for this sort of game I think is spot on personally And but also dare say it'll be available in sales and bundles and so it's one of those games that feels right for a humble bundle in a few months as well um, but still if you like this sort of game don't wait it's also 
uh, yeah, don't don't wait on it. If you like this sort of game, don't wait on it. If you're unsure, I would say it's not going to change minds. Wait for a bundle or a big sale. Yep, fair play. Sounds reasonable. So, moving on to one I know I can talk about. is called Adore. And I've what this shows about it, so I know how much you adore me, Stu. Um, mm. no, no. Silence. No, Silence. No. Yeah. Uh, basically, look, we all know Diablo 4 came out, and Diablo 4 was a bit... Um, oh, yeah, you've definitely gone down that route, microtransactions, spending more money than the initial game was, apparently some really conny things to do, such as hiding, placing the buy season pass button where the map button was so people were accidentally buying the season pass. Oh, dear. Anyway. oh my god. Oh yeah, no, apparently that was one. I need to d- double check that, but I've seen a couple of videos that spoke about that being a thing they did and then Activision wouldn't refund because it didn't give any, like, are you sure you want to do this kind of thing? Oh just bought the season my pass. god. Uh, but again, that's conjecture. I've not played it, can't clarify. They might have all fixed that. It might have been an accident. I don't know, but hey, why do we give Activision the benefit of the doubt? I, we, we don't, don't because no. they don't deserve no, it. Don't. No, uh, but anyway, um, Adore is basically uh, Diablo stroke Pokemon in a way, if you will. So the idea is you're this character, you're going through, and the, the plan is to resurrect the god of creatures. And you you kind of go through this isometric thing going round. You've got different abilities you can use, but your abilities, the way you do it, is you 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 beat a creature. And then you can summon that creature. You capture it. And then what you do is you basically send that creature out to fight for you. Uh, a press of a button. Like, but you use that creature in the way... Do you know like how in a Diablo game where you have your magic spells and you press like your magic spell button until it cools down? Yeah. And then you can use it again. And you use your other ones. And you're bad. Basically, you do that, but with creatures. It's like Pokemon-style creatures. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much what you do. You go through all the levels. You, you use your creatures. Um you do battles, you move on, it's fast-paced, it's fun, um, you can do different things, and there's definitely like a synergy to it, so you might have creatures that have certain magic spells, or you might have creatures that are really good at being sort of like, just like melee attacks and stuff like that, so you all, they all do different things, you have to create a synergy of all the creatures you have, um, and you can move them all about, they all have their own special abilities and, and everything like that. Um, and you go through it's got loads of other little subsystems in it so like you could collect like runes and things like that which allow allow you to upgrade creatures and yourself etc 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 um and you basically need to also kind of get to know the creatures as well so you learn about them as you the more you interact with them the more you see them, the more you learn about them which is really really good uh and it's got a pretty diverse overworld to it i I, I find it like the world is quite enjoyable to be in it doesn't get samey and boring um and i'm just yet enjoying my time with it it's kind of like even though diablo's kind of got that oh it's diablo and like everyone plays Diablo and I kind of really want to play Diablo despite I'm not outright I'm not like with Activision like I am with Ubisoft where that's just like nope you're gone screw you Ubisoft with Activision I kind of like do I really want I don't mind maybe in a sale or something like that down the line but Diablo is one of those games the series that I really really want it and I'm trying like trying not to get it but this has scratched that itch really really well by being Diablo inspired and that action RPG that doing something very unique with it. So it also kind of really scratches that creature collecting itch that I like from Pokemon, despite being a bit bored with Pokemon at the moment. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's scratching all the itches and it's kind of just, yeah, really enjoyable. 
And I'm quite surprised. I don't adore it, but you know, it's um, it's adorable. That's adorable. <laughs> well, it sounds really good. Yeah, seems seems to like you say scratch some itches that, that are probably out there, especially with the recent Pokemon not being particularly good, or at least you know being mm. pretty lazy, and Diablo being you know a microtransaction mess, and yeah. Mm-hmm. Obviously, completely embargoed by me and you. So, um, yeah, nice, nice. So, the reason this this this, all, this kind of all comes together with like Diablo and the door, I think, being a really good example, is um, I started playing Baldur's Gate. Very first time I've played a Baldur's Gate game. Um, it's a D and D game, and I am let's just say I'm a D and D virgin. Okay, I've never, I've always kind of admired the idea of it, but never played a D and D game. Uh, I think I've played the odd video game, but not quite got how the D&D stuff works with it. So this is a Dungeons & Dragons ass Dungeons & Dragons RPG. Um, So everything you do is dice rolled, um, whether it's in the background because the system's doing it, or you've actually got to roll the dice to make a big decision. But essentially, it is an RPG um, where you're going on a journey. And it's narrated in certain parts, and you're guided along by a dungeon, like an invisible dungeon master. It's no, it's not a dungeon master doing all the dungeon master bits that you would from a um, like an actual D and D session. Um, it's kind of told more with visuals because it's a video game. Um, but it's just I, I don't want to review it because it's just a brilliant, brilliant game. And yeah, and you just look at the review scores that are coming out and the user scores. I think it's like ninety seven percent. Um, Metacritic average from critics and yeah. 92 from users, which is almost wow. unheard of these it days really with is. a top tier video game. Yeah. Uh, over 60,000 overwhelmingly positive reviews on Steam, um, when generally, I think someone pointed out, the overwhelmingly positive generally goes to around a couple of thousand at best. If it goes anything over a thousand, you start getting the very positive, or, or it starts to mix because you've got some dissenters in there. Um, so for a game like this, which is a big... Yeah, uh, do you know what? This is a AAA quality game um, in all the right yeah. ways, not not the way we disparage AAA these days. Um, because for 50 quid, which is a good price compared to a lot of other games, um, you've got a full game. Um, an absolutely 100%, everything's included, full game. Um, I think on their website... They said, we basically wanted to produce you, the gamers, a full experience for the money you pay. Um, there's no microtransactions. There's no add-ons. There's no this. There's no that, like, to ruin the main game. You know, I think there have been expansions or... Uh, what was the old things we used to have in the olden days? Was it expansions? Like, where you yeah. buy, like, the Sims and then you actually got a massive expansion. Yeah, so I think there are a couple of those for, like, some of the older Baldur's Gate games uh, where there's, like, big fuck-off expansions that you can get, but they don't ruin or... or you know, it doesn't force you to change up the way you play the original game and stuff like that. But anyway, so there might be that down the line, but no microtransaction bullshit. There's nothing else you need to buy to enjoy Baldur's Gate. And there's not even any temptation to it. It's None of it's there, which is really good. The game has the odd little bug. Like I've had a couple of dialogue bugs happen and things like that. So again, it's not exempt from bugs, but... I don't think there's ever been a big video game ever in the history of video games that's not had a bug. It happens. But it's not bug-laden like a lot of other stuff that you get. Um, it's a game that respects you. It respects your time. It respects you as a person. Um, and it's 
getting all the right praise from fans and critics. Now, the flip side of that, some developers don't like it. Because you've got some developers now coming out and saying, well, yeah, the Baldur's Gate's an anomaly because you can't expect us all to make games like this. You can't all expect us to make games that, that over-promise. Uh, sorry, over-deliver, sorry. Um, which is what Baldur's Gate's done. It's over-delivered. And how can we do that? We can't do that. Uh, we can't make games like that. And like... No one's expecting you to make Baldur's Gate. No one's expecting everyone to make 120-odd-hour epics um, that have like actual proper branching choices that means you can go and play the game five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten different ways each time. Um, that you can play it co-op, you can play it on your own, and you get different experiences, etc., etc. No one's expecting everyone to make that. But what Baldur's Gate is doing... And I think this is very important for the industry. And we've seen it with other games, like Final Fantasy sixteen did it as well. And uh, Elden Ring is another great example of a, of a game that came out and was just the game, and it did all the things well that it had to do. Is just, you make the game you want, right? You make the game you want, whatever genre it is. Just make sure you deliver a quality title. We're not saying that you might be making an RPG. Your RPG you've got to make has got to be in the vein of Baldur's Gate. But when you make that RPG, just make sure all your systems work. Make sure it's a complete game. If you're going, can we make this game? And, oh, no, Baldur's Gate's come out. Oh, what are we going to do about all our add-ons and microtransactions and skins and stuff like that? Maybe think about that. Maybe think about, do I need all these bits? What if we just put those in the game? Just put them in the game and let people have them. For and, but instead of charging fifteen quid for this, this RPG was gonna charge. But with all the microtransactions, let's charge twenty quid, twenty five quid, and it's all in there. Do it that way because people are showing that they are willing to pay for games that are well received, well made, and well done, and respect you not as a gamer, but respect you as a person. And Lorian Studios have done that with Baldur's Gate, and they speak so passionately about it that I think this has got to now be where the big AAA companies, whether it's your Activision, your Microsofts, your Ubisofts, your EAs, have got to look at this and go, oh, so this is what people do want? But you've got to look at that, Baldur's Gate, and go, right, we're not replicating Baldur's Gate, but what are the things Baldur's Gate got right? What did they get right? That's what we've got to get right. There is a cl clear thing, you know, 615,000 concurrent users at its peak on Steam, which put it something like only behind that, that Harry Potter game, which is obviously it's Harry Potter, that's going to have loads because it's Harry Potter, as much as, you know, we will proclaim, you know, um, the devil woman herself is, is the worst person ever and we shouldn't buy it. It's Harry Potter, it's going to do game busters. But above that, really, you've got Cyberpunk and then a bunch of free-to-play like PUBG, etc., etc. Games like that, and, um, like Roblox or whatever, all, all games like that that are beating it because they're free-to-play and they are behemoths at the moment. Baldur's Gate is a niche genre and it's over half a million concurrent users. And that is like, and it's still up there a week later. It hasn't had an immediate drop off. Um, and I think that's just miraculous in a way for a game like this. So they've got to look at, if they want to trend chase the, uh, like the big potion, they've only got to look at Baldur's Gate and go, oh, there is a want for solid single player games that, you know, we don't need to 
like Destiny, I think, is a, like one where I look at it and go, I want to play Destiny. The core gameplay of Destiny, I really like the shooting and the bloody blah and the numbers and all that. But I don't know where to start with Destiny anymore. It's like, no. well, do, what do I need to buy? And apparently you can't do the original core game anymore on the free-to-play. And it's like, well, but I don't know if I want to buy these. And it's apparently like the last expansion that came out for that was lukewarm. And it was just like, it missed out loads of stuff. Then they said, that we're not going to put, um, they're not doing like armor upgrades or armor patterns and stuff like that because it's low uptake. Um, and someone pointed out the reason that is, is because the good stuff is hidden behind paywalls. Um, so, of course, you're not getting uptake on the other stuff because it's like no one wants another shade of grey. Um, and no one wants to really pay for for the stuff because it's like it's just a skin. And people realise you can only have so many skins. Um, so, but Baldur's Gate doesn't do any of that at all. I think it's showing a face of the industry that the industry really didn't want showing of like, look, if we do it properly, this is what you could get. Uh, I'm not into these games, and it's overwhelming. Don't get me wrong, it's overwhelming. Not in a way that pushes me away. It's overwhelming in a way that makes me want to get better and learn more. It's brilliant. Um, and I'm going to go out on the limb now. Okay, this is a review. This will be the overall industry game of the year by a long shot. This will yeah. win everything because it's that damn good, and it's that damn game-changing, I think, in how games are created over the next number of years. Well, let's hope so, yeah, because that's a really good pattern for people to follow. It's, it's, yeah, it's what we want. It's if they can do it so that you can expand the game with DLC if you want to, like you say, with the old-fashioned kind of expansion pack idea, where it's totally not necessary to the game that you're playing, but it's there if you want it. Mm. That would be the ideal, I think, um, for the long tail. Um, yeah, I think the last time I remember a game doing that properly was Fallout Three. Right, right. In like like modern gaming terms, I feel like there might be others, but it's the only one that really stands out where you have these massive expansions that you didn't affect the main game. So yeah, but this is yeah, it's just so good. But what I will point out: Did you know a mind flayer is a real thing? I mean, when I say a real thing, I thought it was just something they invented in uh, Stranger Things. Oh yeah, no, I knew it was from D and D. Yeah, no, I didn't. I just thought they made that bit up. <sighs> and you came in, and I was like, oh, what? He just did what? And I had to look it up and I went, oh, right, it's just actually quite, quite a core thing of D&D. &D. Uh, but yeah, I didn't know that. It's really yeah, cool. Yeah, there you go. Um, and now I want to start, I, I have said that I think I've wasted my life and made poor choices in my life because I really think I would have enjoyed D&D &D when I was younger and should have got into it. Oh, we'll uh, have to have a go. We'll have to have a go sometime. I'll run a game for I, us. Yeah, I can't do the voices though. No, you don't have to do the voices. Oh, no, apparently someone did say to me, uh, they said, you, everyone says that at the start. <laughs> yeah, you do tend to get into it. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, it's, I think I think you feel the idea of it is like you feel silly. But then I think if everyone's doing it, then yeah, it's part and parcel of the fun, isn't Absolutely. it? So, but yeah. yeah, yeah, I will review it properly. I'm probably going to write about it, or I might even do a video or, or whatever. But it's just amazing it's so important as a game and it just shows that even in this day and age you can make a proper video game that's a video game that doesn't try and just you know constantly be a a job 
It doesn't try and be a job or, or anything. It's not rushing me through. I could finish this next week and it's fine. I could take my time and spend a year with it. It's fine. And I'm not losing out. I'm not behind or anything. And bless this game. Bless this game. Marvellous. Yeah. Good stuff. Now, um, moving on. Um, Stu had an idea, which I think is a very good idea. We're gonna, we, we've got some Q&A stuff. We've got a bunch of questions that we want to, that we're going to like ask and we're, we're both going to answer. Now, the idea was maybe, I think initially, correct me if I was, you was to do just like quick fire questions with this. Yeah, kind initially. of. Yeah. And then, and then we come to a bit of a realisation, didn't we, Stu? Didn't we? Well, certain people of the two of us who won't be named, Brad, <laughs> may take yeah, some yeah. time. On their answers, which is nice and good and pleasant. So <laughs> we decided to split it up into chunks so we can give each question the time it deserves, I think is a way of putting it. Yes, we will. So should we go through five of them to start Yeah, with? let's do it. Yeah. Because five's a nice number. It is. I like five. And yeah, so with that in mind, here are some questions, right? And do five. But the first, yeah. the first two are about games, but none yeah. of the others are. Just for the audience. So, right, first off, what's your favourite game of the last five years, Brad? Like, bearing in mind, I said I might drag on a bit, okay? Tetris. Okay. <laughs> nice um, and easy. Right, no, sorry, very quickly. <laughs> it is te- Tetris Effect. Um, yeah, still within the five years. Tetris Effect, Puyo Puyo Tetris 2, anything Tetris-y. Um, however, what I will state is that might change over the next few weeks with Baldur's Gate. So I'm just going to add to that because that has just hit me in a way that I can't, I, I don't believe how well it's hit me. So it's Tetris. That's always my default answer, but Baldur's Gate might be that uh, very, very soon. Excellent. Good choice. Good choice. What about yourself? Now, my favourite is Death Stranding, uh, probably mm. by some considerable margin. Um it's just not like anything else. I mean, even though it's got stuff in there, DNA from Kojima's kind of previous games, it's not really like any of them. It's got some of the mechanics, but that's like saying, you know, that um, I I walk and cheaters walk, and therefore I am a cheater. Do you know what I mean? It's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. is not like that at all, and it just does something. It takes everything that you know about games where you're controlling a human white man in the third person and kind of goes, yeah, we're kind of not doing any of that and just does things that are completely different. And some of them don't work at all and some of them work brilliantly and some people hate it because of that and some people love it and I'm one of the ones who loves it. Yep. I, I Again, we're not, we've had discussions about the game, but yeah, no, I don't like it, but I do at the same time, but not enough to play it all fully, but I want to one day. I thought I do. It's a. It's it's basically Hideo Kojima the game. It is, and that's what it could have been called, and it would have made probably more sense than Death Stranding, because it's got all these mates in it and everything. So yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, I, I really should get back to that at some point, and I might do that. Well, don't. Um, it's but, one of them you shouldn't force yourself to like it because it, it, it. No, no. I want. To, I want to play it. I want to play it past like the first few hours that I have played it because there's something there, but it wasn't enough to hold me at the time. Um, so I think maybe when I'm long retired from writing and talking, I've got like 3,000 video games already built up. That's one of those that's up there to actually sit down and play one day when I've got the time. Uh, yeah. But yeah, 
Cool. Uh, I'll ask the next question, so it's not just you answering, asking the question. Yeah, go on. Because uh, you've done nothing but talk. I know, this it's disgraceful. So nothing yeah, but talk, yeah. I know. Uh, so, outside of video games, what is your number one hobby? Yeah, well, I mean, this one's a, it's actually a tough question. Um, it's a mixture for me of, like, walking, rambling... That sort of thing. Rambling won't come as a surprise to anybody. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, it's walking. And I, I, there's a there's a real kind of deep reason behind it. Because I, I was thinking about it and I was like, yeah, there's lots of things around it. So there's like photography. I, I really like photography. I'm not particularly good at it, but I like doing it. Um, and I like visiting places, you know. I, I prefer to visit places that are exterior, that are outdoors. But it's all because like, especially when I was a kid and it kind of grew from there, I've really liked liminal spaces. So a liminal space mm. is like, it's not designed as a destination. It's designed as like a utilitarian way of getting you from one place to another. So like a pavement alongside like a busy A road is a liminal space or, you know, like pathways between industrial buildings and things like that. These are all like liminal spaces. They're not designed as a destination. And I've always been, I don't I really genuinely don't know why, but I've really been obsessed with them. And I think partly maybe because like where I grew up in Chester, it's like very historic. Every, every corner, every sort of, every way you turn, there's something that's like, you know, designed as a, yeah, it's supposed to be impressive or it's old and therefore impressive or whatever. And they, when they've built a kind of, in, not an industrial park, but like a, like an entertainment park outside of town and it was all utilitarian it was all these flat pack buildings like typical shopping mall stuff yeah and it was the first time i'd seen one i was absolutely fascinated with it and it just became a bit of a weird obsession that i just love these boring utilitarian <laughs> liminal spaces industrial art architecture and yeah but i love i love rambling i love walking and i love it in nature as well and stuff like you know, bird watching whilst I'm out there, it helps you appreciate where you are and what you're looking at and it focuses your attention. And it's it's a good, I don't know, it's probably a little bit, uh, you know, of being, it could, could be part of being on the spectrum maybe. I don't know. I don't know if I am, but if I am, that's definitely a part of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's really cool. I, I don't mind going for walks and, uh, and, and stuff like that and looking what's around me. Um, but yeah, I, it's, it's, it's really weird. Just to point before I start answering, uh, I've only just noticed for the first time <laughs> that she's made two tabs for these questions. <laughs> and there's one there at the bottom that says Brad, and there's one that says Stu. And Stu is kindly, I think, filling it out it mine in as we go. I've just looked at Stu's tab, and he's made all these notes and everything <laughs> <laughs> and filled it all in properly just so he's got points. And the mind's just completely blank because I'm going to make it up as we go because I didn't realise there was homework. No, no, it's not homework. <laughs> it's just the way I, the way I operate. I'm just weird like that. <laughs> I mean, if you wanted to actually work out how both of us operate on one spreadsheet, that's it. Yeah, that's just going to go in here, answer it as it comes. And <laughs> she's like, I'll, I'll actually think about this and there's some structure. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. Oh, I know. It's so well. I love it. I love structure. I yeah. love it so much. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it's just weird. <laughs> So yeah, whereas I'll just I'll just do it on the fly. It's fine. I'm better on the fly. I can't do structure. All right, we'll we'll prove uh, it then. So, what is your number one hobby outside of gaming? So football. Um, not playing. 
uh, really as such. Um, and it's only something I've really found discovered again over the past maybe two, three, four years. Um, and it, it's football. Um, purely because I'm seeing the joy. And I know this is a bit of a whole sentimental answer and stuff like that. But just seeing the joy it brings my daughter. The joy yeah. it brings Edith. Um, you know, she she's autistic. Um, as she struggles with a lot of things, but her safe space, her happy place, is a football pitch, especially between the sticks. She's a she's a natural goalie. She's a ball goalie. She wants to be a goalie. Um, and they say it takes a special breed to be a goalie to want people shooting like fifty mile an hour shots at your face. She's happy. Well, maybe not fifty miles an hour at her age, but she's happy <laughs> having shots. She doesn't care if she gets loses teeth or whatever. She's just purely, purely happy with it. And seeing her smile makes me smile. Um, I started going to football games again uh, because of the price of being able to go and see the women play. And I've been enjoying women's football much more than I've been enjoying men's football. And it's bringing me a sense of joy. And it's still something I can do despite my disabilities, despite being blind, despite... Um, my anxiety and, and coming to terms with my own autism and ADHD and my depression and, and things like that. It's something I can do and feel part of a community. And it's just, yeah, I absolutely love just the world of, let's just, uh, not even football, let's not say football, women's football. Let's just say women's football. Yeah. Um, it has been an absolute joy to be a part of that. And yeah, it's just, I absolutely love it. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've really liked what I've seen of the World Cup. It's not been as much as I'd like because what time it's on in the morning, unfortunately. Um, oh, can I make yeah. one, one, one point about the, the Women's World Cup? And it's, it's literally just a, just a one-moment thing. Yeah. Um, Chloe Kelly scored a penalty to send England through to the quarterfinals, which was great. But do you want to know a fact about that penalty? Her shot was faster any shot taken by a man in the Premier League last season. Nice. So, right, so maybe the men shouldn't moan about them getting equal pay to women. Maybe the women deserve their their higher pay. You know, just saying. You know, they can kick the ball harder, the women. Absolutely. But, yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. I, I love seeing stuff like that. And, yeah, white men of certain ages crying about it because it's, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Yeah, ignore um, them. It's that's for the best. Excellent. All right then. Now, well, the next question easy one for you, is: Oh no, you're asking. No, you, you're asking, aren't you? I've got there. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. it doesn't really matter. You can ask me if you like. I'm open. Well, I, I, well, I know the answer to this one. So I'm not even going to look at your tab. <laughs> I know the answer to this one. Who is your hero? Stu? It's Bradley. Yeah, of course it is. It's <laughs> always all day and night. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your real hero, Stu? Oh. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's it's diff- it's a difficult one to answer. It's one of those that, like, it seems like a small question, but it becomes a bigger one. Because mm. imagine, right, if your your hero was Lizzo, yeah, imagine that, and and then you know, within the last week, that's probably been completely Lizzo. What's a Lizzo? You don't know Lizzo. You don't know who Lizzo is. No. Oh God, we'll have to take that off air then, because like, Lizzo's an entertainer, a singer, and uh, oh, the rapper. Yeah, yes. Sorry, I do know of Lizzo. I don't, I'm not familiar with 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 their work or anything, but it sounds like something's happened. So. Yeah, well, we won't get into it here because it's big, but um, it's not good. Let's just say stuff's happened, right? Exactly. Okay. You know, or you know, Bill Cosby. Imagine if he was your hero, or you know, anything like that. Um, uh, but you know, I do have some. I, I do have some heroes. Like, I mean, 
my the person I always described as my hero for years was Michael Palin, and I I'm not sure if he still he still is to a degree, but you know he was everything that I I kind of wanted to be as an adult really, which is you know he's erudite, he's kind, he's hilarious, you know he's intelligent, he writes, but he isn't egotistical. He's well-travelled, he's very human, he's relatable. He's kind of like everything that you think, I think, that a person kind of should be, really. Um, Mm. Unfortunately, he accepted a knighthood a few years ago, and that really kind of really hurt me, in a way. Um, Kenny Dalgleish did, as well, with all fairness. So I I, I think a lot of a generation find it difficult to To not not accept accept it. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't change fundamentally what what they are as a person, but it, it does change my perception of him a little bit. Now, people, another troublesome one is uh, Yasmin Alibi-Brown. I might be pronouncing their name wrong. Apologies if I am. He's yeah. a journalist and a left-wing journalist. Yeah. Um, now, says all sorts of things that I agree with. Great writer, really connect with them. But they have said some, some things that have been classed as anti-Semitic in the past. And it's, again... To class them as a hero, I'd have to sit down with them and just ask them what the truth was. So that yeah. makes it more complex. I suppose the only person that I, I can think of immediately that I don't think anything bad has ever been said about is Benjamin Zephaniah. And, you know, the the poet and, you know, again, entertainment kind of person who's just a lovely person, really clever, really left-wing um you know billy bragg you know that kind of that kind of person it's yeah there's a theme there's definitely a theme with my heroes yeah no definitely it's kind of there's a theme with mine but it's it's kind of stems almost on like how i would consider heroes when i was a child not not a child but when i a teenager younger i can't get out of that um and i totally get yours you know all those you mentioned my, I've never really thought about my hero before um, outside of like stark answers. Um, and a lot of my heroes have come from sport over the years. And my, my, my biggest sporting hero um, is Michael Schumacher. Um, yeah. Which he's got a... The reason he done that, he was someone I looked up to because he had a desire to win at what seemed like all costs. Like he would... He would when it's against the British driver, people go cheat because he's ger- like because there's still this this hatred towards Germans for some reason. Um, so people go, oh, you know, he's German, he's cheating, like he knocked out Damon Hill on purpose, blah blah blah. He took a moment. There was his his world championship was slipping away. All he had to do was slightly nudge another driver who wasn't going fast. It wasn't going to really endanger him. He did what he had to do. Don't get me wrong, and he has pushed the boundaries and stuff like that. But he shows his human side. So like for for example, when he broke his legs at the British Grand Prix after an accident, he came back and played the number two driver. Now this is the best Formula One driver that's ever lived. Um ever, in my opinion. And but he played the number two driver to help his teammate Eddie Irvine try and win the world championship. Um which I thought was brilliant. I've never seen that from like a Lewis Hamilton or a um or a um uh, Max Verstappen, they don't ever feel like they're trying to help their teammates in any way, shape or form. It's all about them. 
And Michael Schumacher was singular. He's like, I'm going for the championship. And he would be so far ahead that your Rubens Barrichellos would be supporting him. And then he was, um, there was a race. There was not long after his, um, um, like something to do, I think it was like his, his mother had died. Um, and they were speaking about like the anniversary of his mother's death to him. And he got really, really upset and showed his human side. And that really spoke to me in many, many ways. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I, I just find him as my hero. But more recently, I had another think about it. And it, I, ironically, I was trying to move away from sports. Um, but I couldn't. Because I think someone who's a bit of a hero to me at the moment is Deli Alley. For someone like that, who has shown his side to come out and speak so openly and honestly about their mental health um, and how it affected them, like destroyed their football career in so many ways, but speak about it openly and honestly. Well, I, I just thought was so brave. Like in the actual sense, like we spoke about this at the time, the truest sense of the word brave, I think it was very, very brave. So yeah, you know, Deli Alley at the moment. And I'm sure we can link to the episode where we actually spoke in depth about it. But yeah, at the moment, yeah, Deli Alley, I think was is somewhat of a hero to me by the fact he's able to open up in the way he did. And I think do wonders for mental health in men. Yeah, yeah, no, good choice. Yeah, cool. Go on then, what's the next question? Oh, okay. Um, yeah, if you could live anywhere, Stu, where would that anywhere be? Well, I'm kind of one of a theme that will come out is that I'm I pretty much don't have FOMO, which is nice. Um, I very rarely get it, and I would I just want to be here. I I very much live in the present. I'm not a past focused person. Uh, I, everything is either about the present or what I can build for the future, and I, a lot of it comes back to I think um, the fact that my dad died when I was young. And, yeah. you know, I, 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 I contextualised my past by, like, I had a great childhood. I really enjoyed it until it was, you know, kind of half destroyed when I was a teen, you know, young teenager by my dad dying. Mm-hmm. But I have no... I, I can contextualise it and go, well, there, there was good and there was bad because something bad happened. And I don't want to be, you know, back in that situation. And, and I want to live in the moment. I want to tell people that I care about them and I want to live for you know what happens now and you know that'll come up again and again in questions but um in in this one in particular i i chose this place where we've moved to um just like because it fit everything that i wanted to do and everything i wanted to kind of be and everywhere i wanted to live and i don't want to be anywhere else which is you know pretty nice really yeah no totally totally get totally get that and i i wish I wish that, that's how I could feel at times um, because mine's almost literally the opposite of that. Anywhere but here. Yeah. Um, I want to live in Liverpool. Essentially, yeah. that's it. That That's where I want to be. It's And again, it's, it's, it's the, you'll probably find the theme. It's I didn't realise, obviously I did know I'm quite family orientated, but how much I care. I care. It's where we're happiest. It's where I see Edith smile the most. It's where I see Lucas happy and confident and things like that. So yeah, it's 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 just one of those actually a simple answer. It's Liverpool because it's you know it's yeah. it's just the place I want to be and it's an amazing city. You probably well know, Stu. You know you you live fairly local to it. it like in, in retrospect, um, and I, 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 this I, I, I could live in Rotterdam or anywhere. Liverpool Personally. or yeah. Yeah. Yeah, on it. <laughs> but yeah, no, Liverpool. Excellent. Yeah, no, on a good on a good clear day I can see if I go up to the top of our hill, I can see 
straight across the Wirral um, to Liverpool, which is uh, which is nice. Yeah, I'd say the Radio City Tower. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, no, I I agree. It's a lovely place to live. Um, and it's how do you call Pete Price rude names? Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that goes without saying. Really. You got to have it. Oh, not. completely. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's it's a nice place. It's a nice thing to a nice situation to be in to know where you want to be as well. Even if even if it's uh, you know, as long as it's something that's approachable, you don't have to. It's not so fantastical that you'd have to chuck everything out to achieve it you know that you can think of it as the only thing that would make you happy because like years and years and years ago somebody my mum knew moved to new zealand because i think they just thought mm. you know oh new zealand's bound to be nice and they moved back within a few months because it yeah. was they it was just a fantasy and when they actually encountered the reality they didn't like it and yeah it's nice to know that you're not going after a fantastical thing you're going after something that's that's proper and achievable as well too many dwarves and wizards. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I will caveat that uh, with, with Liverpool. It's anywhere with my family. As long as I've got my family with me, that that's all that matters, really. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, it's just I know. I mean, I've lived in Liverpool and moving away was my big regret. So, again, I'm not trying to justify anything like in terms of what you just said there. I know the city. I, I know what it's like to live there. And I know what effect it has on us, which is why that's why I'm not choosing. Oh, I'd love to go and live in Detroit, or I'd love to go and live in Canada, or or anything like that. Which are you know maybe Detroit's not the most amazing place, but I you know it's a place where I like the. I've got again through sports got a, a link to it, and it's where I'd I'd like to be for certain things, especially when Lucas was playing ice hockey. Um, and Canada the same, but no, it's Liverpool. I know it. I love it. The city's amazing. The people are amazing, and I'm a little bit closer to Stu. Which is the key thing, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yes. Cool. Uh, so you can ask the last one. Yeah. So what is your... I'm too worried. <laughs> what is your biggest fear? So, again, this is one, like, I saw it just, like, a couple of minutes ago when I was looking at it. And I like, to really, really, really think about it. I suppose my biggest fear is I everything that I know... That's me now, which is my my autism, my ADHD. Um, he's like the biggest link to all of, all of this. That it turns out it's not, um, and uh, everything I've done has been one hundred percent my fault. Um, everything like my depression is my fault. Uh, my lack of understanding certain situations is my fault. That being able to you know, not ramble on and stuff like that. But I, I have full control over that. And that, um, you know, the reason some people don't like me is 100% my fault because I'm a terrible person. I'm a bad person. My issues with money, it's like I've totally screwed that up. And like, I'm, the idea of like, it was all me and I'm conscious of it all. And I've made these conscious decisions. Um, and I still believe that about myself, even though I know these are there. I still blame myself for the smallest things that go wrong. Uh, I blame myself for Edith's autism and Lucas's ADHD. That's my fault. Um, it's my fault that, we, that we're that we in the situation that we live in a flat. I, I do blame myself, but then I'm able to step back at the moment and go, actually, no, circumstance causes that as well. It's not just everything I've done. I've not been dealt the fairest of hands. I know I've got better hands than some people, but I've definitely had a much worse hand than others. So I know that does come into it. I can logically stand back and tell myself that. Uh, 
my big fear is that me logically standing back and telling myself that it's all these other mitigating factors that contribute to it is bullshit and it's everything I've done. I am at fault for absolutely everything around me. Um, whether it's what goes like like my mum having to recently go to hospital to have some of her lung removed because of cancer scares, uh, whether it's like uh, like our situations here, whether it's um, a friend of mine that's going through issues, it's all my fault. And that that's the fear I have that everything that goes on is my fault. Um, and yeah, it's again, I know logically, and I will step back from it after saying it, I, I know that's not the case. And I'm sure you'll turn around in a sec and go, of course, it's not all your fault and you don't have control over some things. But yeah, that's my biggest fear. Um, and spiders in Australia. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Well, no, you see, I think I think the natural this is why like having a third party who doesn't know you very well is great for like playing stuff back to you. And it's why mm. you know, why I, I enjoy doing Samaritans. Because when when somebody says something like that, you you're kind of as a friend, your reaction is to go, Oh no, that's crazy. You're you're this, you're that, you're not those things, you're not the bad thing that you think that you are. But of course that doesn't get to like the issue itself but when you when you're a third party and you're dispassionate about it you can go oh right well what makes you feel that way you know when when does this happen does it can you remember when it started you know questions like that to sort of interrogate where it came from gently and that that really helps um but yeah no as a friend no of course that's crazy you you're you're not responsible for those things and you're a nice person and you shouldn't worry about it Oh yeah, no, and I, t- I, t- I say I totally get that as well. When I say step back, and I, I know, like talking about it, I'm talking about it in that respect of that's the answer to that question. Yeah. And I know it's not my fault, but yeah, those intrusive thoughts that hit, they hit hard. Yes, they really do hit hard at times. Um, you know, I I feel guilty over my children being born. Uh, not in I regret having them, and I love them to bits, but it's like. I brought them into this world, or you know, you know, what if we hadn't, or we, you know, we created them on a on a different day. Would it have been a different life for them? Do they deserve a better life with a different father, etc., etc., etc.? Right down to the points of like, if I ended my life, would they go on to have a better life? All things like that have all come in. And my big, I say, my biggest fear is that's not just intrusive thoughts to do with mental health and depression and everything that comes along with that. That it's the actual truth and everything is my fault which is weird yeah well um yeah. so yeah. but yeah yeah i mean character I, well this is a huge debate but it's um i don't think it's weird um i think it's it's pretty standard for, for quite quite a lot of people actually um i think a lot of people go through those kinds of concerns and it's probably yeah more acute for you around certain things as well mm. uh, but the main thing is yeah is i would say is not to beat yourself up about thinking those thoughts um because that's yeah the best way to maybe get around them but anyway god no that's a whole now i've gone deep i want you to turn around and just go high <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well there's there's three lots aren't there there's, i was just thinking about it and there's three lots of fears really there's rational ones so like people when they go oh you know my my kid's dying or me catching cancer you know getting cancer or, yeah, yeah yeah and there's irrational fears which are like you know things that are un- unlikely to happen but could happen um, and there's phobias, which, you know, it's just completely irrational fear. And I suppose there's four because there's fantasy fears. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Where am I going? Where do clouds come in? Yeah, clouds. actually clouds. Clouds are irrational. Clouds. And you can you can have you can have a phobia of, of them, which is also has a name that I can't remember. 
but yeah, that's... they are they are murderous though. They do kill. They do kill they these kill. children. I, I I believe that even before. Yeah. It. So you know. <laughs> yeah, but no. I mean, to answer the question, um, phobia wise, claustrophobia, because um, I get anxiety and I. Uh, it's much better these days. It's pretty well controlled, but I do get anxiety, and and my presentation of anxiety is is claustrophobia, and you can see the exact kind of like oh X happened and it turned into claustrophobia with um you know me and me and Mel were having a uh, going through a bad time not with each other but mm. you know we both individually had some you know issues and and Mel had some terrible mental health issues and and a bit of a breakdown and then not long after that her grandma died who she's very close to and we had to go to the funeral and it was far away and we didn't have the car this was before we had a car so we had to go in public transport we couldn't afford to stay over so we had to do it all in a day on the train and on the way back I just had a massive kind of panic attack about being on a train and being enclosed in that enclosed space and just couldn't face it and we had to miss the train and we had to go to the pub so I could self-medicate and you know that's awful and I really didn't want to do it but getting yeah, getting yeah. slightly drunk was the only thing that I could possibly do to help me face it and awful awful so claustrophobia basically um anything where I'm trapped as I've written here bonus points for trapped in a cave <laughs> like if I was you know like the descent the film you know if I was trapped in a cave like yeah. physically trapped couldn't move my arm I would go insane and literally within a couple of minutes and even if I was rescued after like three minutes, it would be too late. My mind would be gone and I wouldn't be coming back. Wow. That's how bad it is. It's it's a it's terrible. Um Yeah, oddly, do you know, for me that would be heaven. Like yeah. if I'm trapped and I that like in somewhere enclosed, I know that I haven't got to worry about anything else because I can't physically do anything else. So I can't affect anything else. So <laughs> yeah. if I'm trapped in like even a lift or something like that on my own, um, or like you said, in a, in a cave, whether it's literal or metaphorical, I, that for me is just, I can relax bizarrely. Yeah. 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 That's why it's a phobia, I guess. It, it doesn't yeah. make a rational, there's no rational sense to it. If I get trapped in a lift, I just sit, you know, sit there till they fix the lift, you know. But it doesn't feel that way. It feels like death, you know. It feels like I'm gonna die. Um, so that's very dark. But yeah, that's what it is. No, no, I I get it. And it's um, the claustrophobic one is um, like when you say this again. I, I, again, this is not to like to make it about me. Um, you understand like the ADHD side, but anyone who doesn't an ADHD are. Uh, um, shows empathy by relating to their own experiences um so i'm not just taking over from Stu. <laughs> um but it's like with the claustrophobic one it's like a lot of people see claustrophobia as being stuck in small spaces whereas claustrophobia is anything that makes you feel like i suppose like pressure and like feeling trapped or or not in control and mine is bizarrely busy spaces um, like it's not a phobia, but I feel overwhelmed sitting in a cafe because of everything that's going on. I feel overwhelmed walking through a train station or walking through a busy street. That's what affects me because I can't focus on the one thing I need to focus on, and my mind travels, or I just hear everything that's going on, um, and that 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 freaks me out more than anything. And that's a kind of claustrophobia. 
as I said, it's not a phobia, it just really irritates me. But I think your yours is is yours I think you said is you feeling closed in, not specifically maybe being in that space, but it's definitely I think for you, and tell me if I'm wrong, it's that idea of being completely closed in literally and again, metaphorically. Yeah, absolutely. Both of them, yeah. Yeah. It's uh yeah, feeling like I don't have any agency or ability to change the situation is almost as bad as, as the physical stuff, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And apart from Just that, like trying to end this podcast sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and apart from that, werewolves. <laughs> yeah. Werewolves. Yeah. We are weird. Um, Edith mentioned this. Like, would you rather be bitten by a werewolf or something else? Um, and I can't remember what it was. Um, but I went werewolf because if I got bitten and attacked by a werewolf, I'm more likely to die from it and not have to suffer the consequences. And I can't remember what the other thing was, but it was like, I mean, it was, that was it, a vampire and live forever. Like, yeah, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to live forever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Behave. <laughs> 41 years is enough. Right. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's that's five. How many more have we got left to go, Stu? Another forty. Yeah, about another forty-five questions I've put down. <laughs> Stu's original ideas. We maybe could run through all these in a show. I know. I was, oh, how naive, <laughs> man. How naive was that? Uh, but yeah no this is really good I I do like this it learns a little bit about us and hopefully like some of the stuff is not educating people but allows other people to maybe think about some of these things as well for themselves Um, and approach them because we don't always approach them it's like when you said what's your biggest fear I think generally like people go oh what are you scared of and I go oh clowns you know I will generally that's just like like stock answer clowns yeah. Um, and I don't really think about it. So, yeah, it's, it's good to think about it and get these things out. And I said, you know, when I speak about what my actual biggest fears are, there's people now go, might even agree, people might go, well, yeah, it's all your fault because, you know, you have agency. Um, and I, I've got no issues with people thinking that. But then you get other people that could either back you up or, or tell you what you need to hear or even sometimes tell you what you don't want to hear. Um, so it's good to, to do these things. And quite a few of these um, questions over the uh, next few weeks will definitely delve into that. Um, yeah. But talking of fears, do you know what your biggest fear is, Stuart? What's that? That I will never shut up. So do you know what I will do? What are you going to do? I'm going to shut up now. There we go. Excellent. So, yeah, hopefully you found some of that interesting and or useful. And if not, just skip it, you know, where the show notes are so you can go to the bits you want to listen to. And apart from that, uh, follow us on all the socials, join our Discord to chat. And apart from that, until next time, stay safe and stay sane.